0: The greater law in karma states that whatever thoughts or energy we put out, we get back, good or bad. I'm Lee Levy, co-founder of Nanato Media, and this is In Camera Podcast, where we believe that kindness, knowledge, and extraordinary help nets greater returns in terms of revenue and profits. Welcome to In Camera Podcast Private Legal Marketing Conversations. Grace, welcome back. Thank you, Liel. How are you today? Great, Grace. Just coming out of Google Marketing Live Stream because, yes, since last year, Marketing Live has moved and transitioned to Live Stream or some sort of adaptation of that. Um, A lot of memories, right? Because last time there was an actually Google Marketing live in person, I was there and it was so much fun. Grace, it was such a massive event. I mean, not just the keynotes, but everything around it from the uh, social events to all of the building up towards the event, the sandbox, like all of the demos that they would do there. And it was just insane, right? And now it really got stripped down to a two hour event online stream. But I must say there's a lot of very exciting updates coming up in Google. And yes, 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 yes. There's a few things that were announced today. Some of them we already knew, some new updates. I can just say that really privacy is at the center and core of everything, right? And it does not go unnoticed to Google that um, the whole privacy and tracking model needs to be heavily changed if uh, they want their ads-supported internet to continue standing a chance in the future. And so if you were to ask me in brief, those are my main uh, takeaways from that. But we're probably going to dive into this particular conversation at some other point because today, as you very well know, we have a very, very, very interesting conversation lined up and so, Grace, as always, please do the honors and introduce our next guest.
1: Well, everybody, we do have a very exciting guest today. And today we are joined by attorney Brian Labovic. Brian is a lawyer and entrepreneur who has earned more than $400 million for his clients. He is the CEO of the Labovic Law Group, an advisory board member of Kaiser University's Legal Education Division, a past president of the North Palm Beach County Bar Association, former director of the Palm Beach County Justice Association and most recently the best-selling author of Not a Good Neighbor, A Lawyer's Guide to Beating Big Insurance by Settling Your Own Auto Accident Case.
0: Brian, welcome to In Camera Podcast. How are you today? I'm awesome. Thank you for having me. It's great having you, Brian. And um, just share with your audience, where where is this podcast finding you? Uh, So I
2: am in Palm Beach County, Florida. Uh, We're in the north part of Palm Beach County, Florida, which is Palm Beach Gardens, and uh, I have a building and I'm co-owner of the building and we're right out on i95. so I stick right out onto the highway.
0: Well you do have a beautiful office, I must say we get to see a lot of the of the great things that you have there on your wall quite a, a beautiful setting. So. Thank you. Yeah, of course, Brian. So, thank you very much for creating the time to have this conversation with us. And as Grace just mentioned in your introduction, you recently published a book, right? Yeah, not a Good Neighbor, is. very cleverly titled, right? Let me, it, that's because, you know, the good neighbor that the insurance companies are supposed to are portraying themselves to be, and they're not really that good or thank not you good for, at all. Thank you for getting it
2: because <laughs> some people
0: haven't got it. They were like, why is it about neighbors you're
2: a pi lawyer i was like the state farm commercial it's kind of a play on that yeah so, so yeah
0: honestly i think people do, who do not get or do not remember or or insurance commercials haven't stuck in their minds yet they're living under under a rock like insurance advertising is like like pop is for music like yes. It's so effective. it's catchy. You cannot not ignore it. And we I, looked at a lot of things. Like we, we, we were gonna name it. Don't go with flow,
2: and then we we're like, don't trust the gecko, and we landed on not a good neighbor. So yeah,
0: no. I mean, I, first time I heard it, I was yeah. This is a this is an insurance reference, anyhow. Thank so you. you Of course. No. Great, great book. Great title. So, uh, Brian, let's let's just we're very curious here about the thought process of actually writing this book, because you're a personal injury lawyer. You wrote a book for people to be able to handle their own claims. Yes. Why would a lawyer do that?
2: Yeah. And and it's interesting because I had I had an attorney who I'm friendly with, who I talked to him about endorsing the book. And he was like, no, I think this is a terrible idea. Why are you doing this? And so I, I had to explain it to him. Um, the the concept here is that as an attorney, my goal has been to add value to my client's claim, right? A person comes to me, they're hurt, they they have a problem, they need help. And when you look at that person's world, and, and as a lawyer, they, they want to take their problem and put it on your back. And you've got to take that And you've got to make something good happen with it, right? So I take their their problem and I want to make something good happen. But if the thing that I can make happen doesn't hold value for that person or enough value for that person, then it becomes a really acrimonious relationship, right? So instead of being a positive business relationship, it becomes a negative business relationship. And the things where I've tried to help, where I couldn't get to a place where I could help have been the places where I've, I've run into the most I guess, difficult situation with clients, right? And because of the way Florida law works, there are a lot of situations under Florida law where the lawyer can't add enough value to make it worthwhile for the client to even hire a lawyer to get the case done. Where if they kind of knew what they were doing, they were given a little bit of instruction. And I've given a lot of this instruction where people have called me for advice. So what kind of led to the book is that I do this anyways, right? If somebody were to call me, and that's what really led to it, I had a client call me. He's in the book, um, and I coached him through getting a settlement on his case. And the truth is is that particular person would never have been happy in the end of that case because in the end of that case, had I been included in it, gotten a policy limits tender, given him the amount of money that he got after that, because of the cost of labor and the cost of the lawyer and the cost of getting that money, he would have come out with less in his pocket and so the math added up for him that he could get to where he needed to go without having a lawyer and so he became a great advocate and now he's referred me 10 pi cases that all had value right and that i could help people because they were never going to get to a full settlement without a lawyer where he was able to say to them this guy's really honest and he'll get you to where you need to go in the best way possible so my goal has always been to just add value And if I add value to my clients' lives, they'll keep the business coming to me. And that seems to be a good workable system.
1: That's pretty amazing. Um, You know, you never really hear that, right? So let's backtrack just a little bit. When did you realize you wanted to write this book? Where did it come from?
2: It actually was about 10 years ago. And I had a new internet web employee, somebody who came aboard and took over our web. And he had come from an internet company that basically gave away 100% of what they did. And through doing that, they had built up this big share of the market and the data that they collected in the market. And they ended up doing very, very well financially in the growth of that business, giving away everything important that they did. And we started talking 10 years ago about this concept of like, just giving away 100% of the knowledge that we have of how to deal with injury cases. And that's what put it in my head. And that was like 10 years ago, right? And what happens is that, you know, you get busy and you start working and we were working on the business. And I don't know if you remember, but 10 years ago, the world was a little upside down financially. We went through this terrible crisis. And the the truth is, and I've told this story before, is that when I left the government as, as a prosecutor and I started on my own, you know, my experience was that everything I touched turned to gold. And so I would get a case and I would work hard on it and I would have a good result. And that would lead to more people and more people led to more money and more money led to more cases. And then I started to get some press coverage and we were golden, like truly. And hubris was my middle name because I was like everything I touched turns to gold. I'm super awesome, you know, and I invested in some things and put myself out there in a way financially that was just, very overextended, to be very candid. And so um, the world obviously crashed. And when that happened, I lost a lot of money in property that I thought was like, oh, property is always going to double every year, right? So that didn't happen. Um, And anyway, so I learned learned a, a lot about being humble and about being realistic in the world. And that's when this idea came about just give away your knowledge and grow your business that way. But because of what was going on in the world, we were we were struggling to make sure that we kept our doors open. And that took like five years to overcome the losses that, that happened. And then in 2015 and 16, we really turned a corner and we kind of got back on track. And then in 18, I started thinking about writing the book again. And that's when I helped out, um, the, the gentleman that I helped out that gave me the idea of getting back into it. And then when COVID hit, I was like, no trials. I'm gonna be out of trials for a long time let me take this opportunity and write the book already. So there's the story. Maybe that's boring. I'm sorry.
1: No, I like it. That's great. What do you mean boring? That was awesome. Awesome. I mean, well, the, yeah, to come from, you know, the, the reasons behind everything, the that the story, that's what people want, yeah. right? I mean, I want to know why, why it came came to be, you know, and, and your life and what happens to you that makes you actually come and do something or take action. We're all about taking action here on this podcast in particular. I mean, at the end of the podcast, we're constantly saying, what are three actionable takeaways, right? So Mm -hmm. the fact that you took action on what was happening to you in your life and you wrote a book about it is phenomenal. Thank you. To me, that, that actually is perfect to, for the next question that I have in, in my mind. And that's, you know, everyone takes books and and what someone else writes, right? However you write it is, is how you're interpreting it when you're writing it. But when I'm reading it, I might be interpreting it a little differently, right? So everyone has their own experience when they read your book. But what do you think attorneys, other attorneys like you, potentially, right? At this time in their life, what can they take from or learn from this book?
2: I think there's a couple things, right? As an attorney, when you read this book, and this is the things that I've been told by the attorneys who have read the book. So I've had a lot of friends read the book. I was just on a podcast the other day and, and that host was an attorney and he said, and this is, I, I really took great pride in this. He was like, the thing that I loved reading about your book was the number of stories that you told of your own failures. And we all feel this as lawyers. We feel this need to be like bulletproof superheroes for people but the truth is is that we all learn from failing and i do a lot of that storytelling in the book and and i'm really very disclosing about a lot of the things that i've made mistakes on because i feel like by telling those things i'm letting other people know like you can overcome mistakes and you can learn and you can get better and you can help people by recognizing those things and learning from them. And so that's one thing that I think is a takeaway is that, and, and it comes from that other lesson too, like recognize that there's nothing that that is, like nothing is as good or as bad as it feels in that moment. And so even when things feel bad, there's probably some good that you can learn from them and do better within the future. And so always be humble and always be learning. And when you do that, and just always be pushing value out, right? And the more I give away value, the more I get better business that comes to me. The more I keep giving away, the more I have to do with that, which I can't give away, which is just this amazing karma of life that I learned over time. That wasn't natural to me. I don't know. You know, you guys are in a great firm, right? Like you guys are a part of a great firm, Jacovino and Lake, right? And And I know that firm, in fact, I, I'm in a mastermind with some people in that firm, very, very bright people, very, very committed people. And so what I've learned about great firms like this and, and firms in my market is that the more they give away, if I call any PI lawyer of any substance and say, I need X, I need to know how to do this malpractice I need this document. I need to know what your experience is with this adjuster, with this, everybody gives away their information. Like we all give to each other. And the best people out there Who give away their stuff are the ones who have the most sophisticated, most successful, most interesting practices with the most interesting lives. And so I've learned that karmically over time. That was not, you know, like I'm a, I unfortunately grew up in a very competitive neighborhood and in a competitive place. I'm a competitive person. And so my initial feeling is red ocean, right? My initial feeling is that limited resources, we all have to fight for resources. But the truth is, is that it's a very blue ocean out there and there's plenty for everybody. And the more that I give away to people, the more that I get back. And the more that you get, the more that you'll be giving to. I'm like, it's just an amazing, infinite amount of goodness in the world. If we put ourselves out there for it.
0: Brian, I actually can very well relate to to what you're saying, right? Particularly because before having my own marketing agency, I worked in the hospitality industry, which is a fierce industry fierce environment right you need to fight for your title every single day and i'm not saying it necessarily everywhere is like that or that it's still that what like that it's been quite a few years now so culture is changing uh, it's changing everywhere but i'm i'm very interested in hearing what were what were those moments or which moment made you realize that you know what not everyone's trying to take what you have maybe there is an opportunity to to build partnerships and, and grow together and, and help others that will help you. Was that also through the way that you started handling your relationships with clients that you could potential clients that you were not able to help? Or did that lesson came from other more B2B relations?
2: So it was it was B2B relations since we're getting there. And it was a couple of people in my market who we came, even though we're competing in the personal injury field. For the same personal injury cases, we're both major advertisers in in our market, and yet I have this really good relationship with that firm, and uh, and that firm and I have shared a lot of work, and we've pushed work back and forth to each other. At this level, I mean, um, so so if there's let's say uh, top seven or eight advertisers in my market were all in that list, you know, and they, they are a number two advertiser. I'm probably number five or six or something. Um, and so I, I ended up going out to lunch with the the lead partner and he and I started talking about business and we were both doing something called PIP work, which is a very small segment of work in Florida. And I was talking about our PIP department He was talking about his PIP department. He admitted to me that his PIP department was not a very successful PIP department. And I asked him if he would be interested in in us co-counseling that department for him and we could take that work on for him. And so we ended up taking on 100% of their PIP department and we made them more money in referral fees than they were making hiring their lawyer and, and doing the department on their own. And they freed up a lawyer to do personal injury work, which they needed. And they made more money off that lawyer who did a better job in just doing PI cases for them. And it was a win-win for both of us. And so we had this great working relationship where we were feeding this work back and forth, even though we were both competing for the same PI cases in the same market. And then he came to me about seven or eight months later and said, that was a really, that was a really good deal that we made. You guys have a much bigger SSD department than us. We have a very large SSD department. Would you mind thinking about taking on our SSD department and so we took on their SSD department after that. So here it's like my main competitor who I never thought I would do business with. We became friends. We started doing business and we both are doing better. And then I started to get med mal cases, which I don't do med mal cases. And I was able to say, hey, you guys have a really good med mal lawyer. Let me send you some of the, and they were like, that'd be great. Right? So, so it's just an amazing blue ocean of work out there where even though we're kind of fiercely competing for that same auto case, we have all these other cases that that work really well together. And it's not just that firm. It's an amazing number of really quality, personal injury lawyers in my, in my neighborhood who all kind of work together. They feed each other information. And you know, I've got a PI lawyer leaving right now to go to a main, one of the biggest advertising firms in the state of Florida. And it's a very amicable, great transition. I mean, I'm sad that he's leaving, but I think it's a great opportunity for him. And so I'm like, okay, let's work together on these cases. It's gonna be good for me in the long run. I'm gonna make money on the cases. So I think that that if you just have your mind open, instead of feeling like it's gonna be a red ocean, that there's a blue ocean opportunity, you can really make good in the community, even amongst the worst of competitors or the the, the hardest of competitors, I say.
1: Yeah, it's a positive feedback loop, I like to call that. I totally understand that and that's perfect. I mean, you know, personal injury in Florida is so ridiculously competitive, right? How many jokes have you heard, you know, throw a penny and you'll hit how many lawyers in Florida, right? I'm sure you've heard them a million times. No doubt, no doubt. So, you know, it being one of the most competitive markets, what is what has been your strategy to sort of stand out and get those, you know, $400 million settlements that people are always talking about?
2: So we've been really fortunate there've been a couple of things that have been good, right? Number one, we've been solid trial lawyers. So we are not um, a settlement mill, which happens in a lot of advertising firms, right? Like you start advertising and you end up just, you know, settling a lot of cases and not really trying a lot of cases. So we fortunately try our cases and we, we end up getting some press on some cases. And when that happens, it kind of raises your your stakes in the community where people say, okay, that person is a fighter in the community. The other thing is that my business motif has always been to be a fighter, my, just who I am as a human being, like our, our mission, our vision, our vision is very clear, right? So one of the things that I've learned over time is that clarity of vision, clarity of mission, clarity of values drives an entire organization to success, right? And the more clear we are And the more we push that out and the more people buy into that, the better our results are, our results are, and the better our clients are, and the happier they are and the more business we have. So our mission um, is to uh, maximize justice by aggressively fighting for our clients' rights. And our vision is to be warriors for justice. And our core values, number one, is fight to win, passion to serve, uh, own it, and relentless innovation. And we live by those really, really well. And the whole team lives by that. And when we all got on that page, it was about three years ago, where everybody bought into that, the, the the business skyrocketed. I mean, like we've tripled our revenue and we've doubled our staff in the last year. I mean, during COVID, we grew double. So, And it's all based on just organizational health. I mentioned to leel earlier yeah. that... I really believe that organizational health is the key to organizational growth and uh and we we have found that lesson to be very true and we are just out of control growing.
0: Brand let, let's uh stay a little bit there. You've doubled your size you just said during covid right and you also talk about one of your core values being innovation. So can you tell us a little bit about how you've adapted? What innovations you've implemented over the past year that has helped you? That have helped you really exponentially grow? Right, a, a, a double growth on a on a single year is already remarkable. Now that on a COVID or a pandemic year, it's quite remarkable. So yeah. um, tell us a little bit about uh, how how did that year went? So, so we are that that core value of
2: relentless innovation is really very serious here to the point that as a small firm, you know, we, we were, let's go back a year ago, we were 31 total staff, including six lawyers. Um, but we had on staff, a full-time IT person, a full-time assistant IT person, a full-time SQL database person, and 16 programmers in India, because we'd written two, programs for our own office, homegrown software programs, and we were manipulating and growing those to the point that one of them is going to be a standalone product in the market. Um, So we did our own CRM software called Intake Matters, and we did our own software for the PIP side of the firm called Demand Central. We also own a medical billing company, and that medical billing company, we developed the software for that, which is called ProWeb Billing Software. And so that's used for a number of hospitals and doctors uh, to do a lot of their specialized billing related to automobile accidents and comp accidents. Um, And so that's what I mean by this relentless innovation. And so there has been a very serious commitment to technology and our ability to utilize large scale data to get to maximum value settlements for hospitals and doctors across the state of Florida. And that's been a very significant part of our growth.
0: How was the journey to realizing, because there's no sor- shortage of already existing solutions out there, right? But you obviously thought that, you know, if rather than use an existing serum, I'm going to create my own, right? Or ri- rather than using a billing service provider or a software solution, I'm going to create my own. What pushed you towards that mindset? What, what's been the, because obviously it's, it's the the end result can be can be tremendously valuable right but putting yourself through the motions it it's hard and it takes time and and it can be also you know expensive in terms of resources and such what has been the motivation or 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 the interest of doing that i understand the core value but you know pushing yourself to do it is a, is a whole different thing right yeah so the the motivation
2: and the behavior came before the the determination of what we were going to call a core value. I didn't have core values back then uh, that were really tied to the way that we behaved. We behaved a certain way. And then later, you know, three or four years ago, we sat down and we said, let's, let's articulate these things better. So it was kind of backwards for us. And so what you ask is that when we started this relentless innovation behavior pattern, it was at a time when there wasn't anything in the market there was really no good solutions for lawyers in the market for intake. Um, there was no CRM out there. There was no Litify, no Smart Advocate, no Filevine. N- none of these programs that came up in the last ten years, really five years, uh, were in the market. There were some project, you know, products out there that were doing the beginnings. Like HubSpot was just starting, maybe eight years ago, um, and uh, an Active Campaigns and some other you know, online software systems, but we didn't have a tool and we were getting all of these influx of cases through the internet and people were calling from advertising and we had all of this influx and we didn't have a way to capture all of these people except on Excel spreadsheets. And so we started with a SQL database, like the most simple SQL database. And that built into a first generation product, which then built into a second generation product, which then in 16 built into an online you know, SQL database product, which then built into a completely online Azure product. I mean, so we've, we've just grown it and developed it over time and it kind of blossomed, right? And that corresponded with the creation of this medical billing company, because there was no medical billing company out there that was specializing in PIP and comp. And those two small buckets of revenue that go into the medical community are underutilized and poorly, um, poorly achieved by regular medical billing companies out there. So a medical doctor or a hospital can outsource their medical billing for 3 or 4%, and that'll do really good by your government payers, Medicare and Medicaid, or your contracted payers, all of your health insurance carriers. But it's not going to do well for comp, and it's not going to do well for PIP. And so we would go back through, and we would go and, and rebuild all of those smaller buckets and drive in millions of dollars of revenue for people. And because we had that going on so much, we built the software to be able to do that. And there was no billing software in the market for that at the time. So we just kept needing tools that weren't in the market. And that led us to this concept of being relentlessly innovative.
0: That's amazing. That's, um, yeah, very inspirational. Not a lot of stories like that. And I think what's even more remarkable is that even after, you know, I understand that when you started having the need of these solutions, there was not a a real market of options there, right? But as these markets have emerged, you were not, you did not give up on your own projects uh, and went on after some probably now better established solutions. You kept with yours, and that's actually great. And so, um, when are, are any of these already available for the general market? What what's the what's the future for those? So the intake CRM
2: software is uh, is going to be available probably in the next twelve months. Um, it should be available now because we've got a minimum viable product, you know, um, but we really want it to be good for the market. And really, that market is going to be the trial lawyers who are still using needles and trial works and some of the other older on-prem software systems where they don't want to get off of them. There's a lot of small PI lawyers, especially in the Northeast that are on those systems. And the intake software that matches up with those is very limited. And because we had trial works and because we understand both products, we now have tied them into the back end of those products. So we've got pretty much the only CRM solution in the market for very you know, minimal money that you can get as a SaaS system, bring it in, very easily tie it into your trial works or needles, and then have a very good intake module. So that's kind of our market.
1: Uh, I definitely have something to say. Liel's nodding because (laughs) I have something to say about that. I got to tell you, um, so I don't know if you know uh, about the side, the other side of what I I actually personally deal with, and that's uh, Persist Communications. Yes. It's our automated communication software Absolutely. And that has been the bane of my existence is not being able to integrate with needles and or trial works because they have an object database. Yes. So the fact that you have an intake software is pretty amazing that integrates with those two systems because I feel for those guys. You know, I felt for you guys that not having anything to be able to do everything automated the way you wanted to, you had to have MailChimp, you had to have Constant Contact, you had to have all these things exported by Excel and then imported into Trial right. Works and Needles, right? Yep. Wow, what an experience. I'm so glad that you invented something. It that's what ends up happening, truthfully. Yeah. When your story develops, you start realizing, and that relentless innovation is almost unheard of when it comes to lawyers. Yep. I mean, you know that, right? So let's let's talk about your younger self, right? Kind of when you came out and when you first, you know, became a lawyer, or, or maybe right after college. What advice would you give your younger self?
2: I think that. The the thing that and I and I've got children now that are coming out of college, right? So I'm I feel like I'm giving this advice a lot to them and their friends, right? And I'm very consistent in my message that the things that are important to you as a human being, whatever your passion is, whatever drives you, whatever your dreams are to be a part of, whatever interests you be intentional in going after those concepts and trying to be a part of those concepts, whatever those things are that drive your interest. And don't worry about the money. I mean, people are very driven for the money and I feel like people's sliding doors open and close and they make unintentional decisions that cost them years of sideways movement in life. And I see that a lot with a lot of people and I don't, I certainly don't want it for my children. And my children are very blessed in that they've got a a father and a mother who are able to support them going after their dream. Not everybody has that ability to be like, oh, I'm not gonna take job X for 80,000 a year. I'm gonna take job X for 40,000 a year because that's more intentional to me, right? But that's the advice that I want to give people. Don't take the job for the money. Don't take the job because it's the thing that came along after college that hired you. Go into something that you really are passionate about, that you're interested in, that's something that you love and be intentional in your direction. And by doing that, you will find a path that will catapult you into a place that will be much better in a much shorter time frame than doing this sideways, side to side movement, trying to find your way. Um, so that's that's my advice to young lawyers. You're coming out of law school. You're looking for a job. Don't take the job with a real estate firm if you don't want to be a real estate lawyer. You know, like I know that it pays eighty five thousand or ninety five thousand or one hundred ten thousand a year. But if you really want to be a divorce lawyer, even if you can't find a job as a divorce lawyer, go and intern in a divorce lawyers you know place. Like go and find your path there. Don't just take the job to pay the bills or to pay the, it's just, it's much better to do what you love.
0: Would you say your, your path was one like that? When you initiated your career, were you making decisions with that mindset? Yes and no. When I went to law school, I was very
2: intentional that I wanted to be a trial lawyer. I went through college knowing I wanted to be a trial lawyer. There's a story in the book and a story that I tell about an experience I had in high school where I acted as my own lawyer I tried my own case I cross-examined a couple officers the judge brought me back into chambers afterwards and was like you need to be a lawyer at the time I thought I was going to be a doctor because my friend convinced me that you know like we were bright young kids and doctors was the best choice of wealthy profession and after that from that moment forward I always wanted to be a litigator period end of sentence I knew what I wanted to be but I thought I wanted to be a prosecutor. And until I was a prosecutor and until I was a Justice Department prosecutor and I I went through that experience and I realized that I was gonna be happier being on my own. I'm a a very entrepreneurial person. Being a government employee wasn't the right job for me personally. Uh, It's a great job. I mean, truly as a trial lawyer, your best government job is as a a state prosecutor. Uh, My wife had a job with Janet Reno in the Dade County State Attorney's Office and I was a CLI down there. And that was the best experience in trying cases in my life, right? It just was awesome. But as a civil lawyer and as an entrepreneur, this was a better place for me to be out. Yeah. Being a, I used to call myself, and I even trademarked the name, civil justice prosecutor, but I could never get traction in the market with it. So I ended up not using it and just going to Warriors for Justice, which is a a different trademark name.
0: I think one thing that we need to also acknowledge is how times have changed, right? I I don't know how much I can comment on this, but being a lawyer uh, 20 years ago was not something that people were commonly associating with. You can be a lawyer and an entrepreneur at the same time, right? I mean, those are not necessarily two concepts that were supposed to be attached to each other, right? Either you're a business owner or you're a lawyer. Um, And I think it has come with time that we have learned to see, well, you can be anything and still be entrepreneurial and innovator and a business owner and every single business doesn't matter whether it's a law firm or a hospital there's different sides to the business right there's those who are practicing the law or or, or medicine or healthcare and there's those who are running the strategy on the back end and so you know you can decide where where you want to focus and there's opportunities so i i think that broadening and understanding of how business works as a whole has helped a lot of people just to become more happy, right? Because you don't have to feel fit yourself on a sale and stay there for the rest of your life. If things change and you evolve and you all from a sudden realize you're interested in other things and you want to explore that. And so that's great. I have one last question that I want to ask about your overall experience and how you've became this now best-selling author and obviously the leader of a very successful personal injury law firm. Masterminds, you brought them up, right? You said that you are going to masterminds, that you are meeting there other very successful lawyers and such. What role masterminds have played in your in your development, in your success? When is it the right time to yo- to to join masterminds, right? Because for some, the title may just be intimidating as a whole, right? Am I ready for that? Is that the kind of thing for me or not? Which one should I go to? Give us some some, some tips and advice there. That's a really
2: good question because I think that. Now that's kind of the the soup du jour, right. Like everybody's like, oh, I'm in a mastermind. That's like the new thing. Like I'm in a mastermind, and this this mastermind, and I'm in and I'm in like three or four at this point, right? Like I ended up joining, and then I got a little overwhelmed with it. So what I found over time is that it started with me with a business coach many years ago, Mark Powers at Atticus. I don't know if you're familiar with Atticus, but he's he's a nationally known you know, business coach brand. And he he's the one who introduced me to this concept of being an entrepreneur and being a business owner and making the business the thing that I had to concentrate on more than the lawyer thing that I was supposed to concentrate on. And so we read a book called The E-Myth, which is kind of the seminal book to teach professionals about how to run a business. And that was my first real quote unquote mastermind. I joined a group that met every month and we talked it out and we kind of learn business lessons. And I did that for about two years. And then I felt like I wasn't getting enough out of it anymore. So I ended up falling out of that for a while. And then I was out of things for a while. And then I ended up getting into some other masterminds. I think that there's a lot of business coaching now that's available in the world. And I think that people have to find the system that they really like, that fits who they are, and build the business that fits who they are, right? So you can get into, there's, um, there's a, a business, an online mastermind. I think it's called like maximum lawyer podcast. And so what I've found in the maximum lawyer podcast is that most of those people are smaller businesses that are trying to grow, right. And they want some advice and growing they're usually solos or small firms, three or four lawyers. And then there's kind of a step up from there. There's, there's a guy SMB, um, and Bill yeah. Hauser and he's doing a mastermind and he's kind of taking people from like the maximum lawyer size to a little bigger size. And then you've got the crisp masterminds, which are very bigger masterminds. And they're trying to grow people from like seven figure firms to eight figure firms. And then there's some big, big masterminds. Like there's an eight figure mastermind with Pilma, which is the the plaintiff's lawyers management and, and uh, marketing association um, group that, that is a great group, and they've got some great masterminds, both at the seven-figure level, the eight-figure level. And, and so there's all these, you just got to find the right level for you and find who you want to be and then grow into that well. But by having people kind
0: of in that same situation, you get to feed on each other a lot. And that's kind of nice. Yeah, absolutely. And probably kind of like a segue also to that mindset where you say that, you know, not everyone is there to compete uh, against with you. Some, you know, some of them can become partners in the journey of getting there, yeah. right? It, it doesn't have to be the mindset of like, uh, in order for me to grow, I need to make sure that everybody else is failing or or they cannot get ahead of me, which, uh, you know, it, it's it's an antiquated mindset on business, but one that still prevails and it's, it's out there, I, I hear. Yeah. So I do want to plug one
2: other. There's another group called Vista with Tim McKay. And this group is another really good group of people want to look into either a mastermind or a business coach. Crisp is very good. Vista is very good. Pilma is very good. That maximum lawyer is nice. The SMB group is great. So those are the things that I found in the market now that are kind of uh, best in class. Now, there are some things that are not related to law, but are related to law. So Mike Morris wrote a book called Fireproof, right? Yeah. And yeah, he's a friend of the the podcast. Yeah. So an an amazing book and an amazing uh, guy uh, and an amazing firm. But that came off of Gino Wickman's Traction and the EOS system, that entrepreneurial operating system. So that's one methodology of kind of growing a business. And that's big out there now in the law. And the other thing that's big out there that, The Pilma Group is advocating is the Vern Harnish scaling up system. So that's like another system that's out there. And then there's Cameron Harold and the Vivid Vision Double Double Get a Great COO system that's out there. So there's you know Patrick Lencioni and and his stuff. I don't know if you've read any of that Five Dysfunctions of Team. And Grace is giving me the
0: the (laughs) smiles. We all we all have been through this the ring of education. So. Yeah. Great. No, but you've you've certainly uh, heard theories. You've heard you've done the research, and I think that also puts you on a on, a, on an advantageous position, right? It's uh, different when you come with an opinion and having done some some research and are aware of things than when you haven't really uh, sat at the table before and hearing things for the first time, which everybody starts from somewhere, but obviously you know. There needs to be some will and effort put up from your side. Just joining, showing up, it's gonna do something. It's not gonna do everything. Uh, Brian, before we move to the takeaways, I have one more question for you. Right? Oftentimes, people always ask, you know, oh, what's one decision that you regret in in the way you marketed or did, or you know, something something that you thought it was gonna work didn't work. And that's also interesting. But I'm more interested into hearing, uh, you know, one particular decision or bet that you that you've made. And, and maybe people challenged you on that, and they say, no, you probably shouldn't be doing that or so," but you still went with your intuition, and it actually ended up working. You have an example of something like that that you faced in your career, and it could be at any stage in life. So uh, I will tell you one that caused a lot of growth here,
2: and uh, and it was a it was a really good decision that we made. We we had an intake department that was trying to cover too much. And I was very hesitant to outsource some portion of intake. And we ended up outsourcing to a third party vendor. I was the only person who really wanted to do this on my leadership team. So we have a a nine person leadership team. I lead that team. There's four administrators, four divisional lawyers in each of the four divisions in the firm. So I've got kind of the COO, the chief technology officer, the a controller and the marketing director. And then over here, I've got the PI director, the SSD director, the PIP director, and and uh, the work comp director. And so I've got these like groups and I was like, we're gonna outsource this function and we're gonna try and we're gonna move it away from what we're doing right now. And everybody freaked out and they did not wanna do that. And I was adamant that we were gonna have to do that. and uh, and I And I made it happen. And my first move was a wrong move and I and I went to a, an organization, I'm not going to say what organization, but it didn't work out well. And everybody was just like, we just need to move back. We just need to move back. And I was still adamant. And I was like, no, I don't care that I failed the first time. We're going to try this again. I'm going to try a new system. And I, and I called up and I'm going to plug somebody right now because he did a great job coaching me through this. But Gary Falkowitz did an mm-hmm. amazing job coaching me through getting my intake right and working through... The division of intake and what we could handle and what i could outsource to his group to handle and and he really just did an amazing job helping me get through that and it it doubled where we were like when we finally got our intake right and we stopped losing that bleed of cases we didn't even realize how significant of a bleed it was so that has been a definitive moment where i just had to put my foot down and and i was right so I don't get yeah. to say that a lot. My staff will tell you, you know, the people, my team will tell you that I'm wrong a lot, but I was right here, and it made a yeah. huge difference for
0: us. Yeah, that's what we like to ask, that question. It's always nicer to tell, to tell a story about, yeah, you see, I was right. But um, that's actually quite remarkable in your in this particular case because uh, it didn't really work right away, right? And you, and you probably got quite a bit of resistance. It's not easy uh, implementing change, and particularly when you don't have the buy-in of the majority of your team to push it, and then things start going bad and you're still adamant of moving forward with it, that takes a lot of uh, determination. And so uh, uh yeah good good for you good for your team you. that they allowed you to also uh, pursue this
1: so brian this is the part where we ask you what are three actionable takeaways that lawyers can start implementing now
2: okay so the first takeaway i will say is that when my leadership team got together and we started to try to practice organizational health and that means Being able to articulate what our vision was and where we were going, being able to articulate a clear mission that we could all buy into, and recognizing what our actual values were. Not what we wanted to say to the world our values were, not a marketing value, but an actual who we are as an organization. When I could get those things online, those three things coordinated, that that was the missing component toward launching forward with health, you know, an organizational health and growth. And, and that three little things which seems so commonplace, right? Like everybody should know that. Right. But if you can't articulate that and if you can't have that go downflow to the entire organization, there's just, it's like, it's like we all know that we want to charge over the hill in a battle and yet when I'm in the front of the line and I'm like charge and I start running over the hill and I look back and one guy's running that way and one guy's running that way and three people are running backwards, you know? But if we all are on board with those three concepts, we're all charging over the hill together. It's an incredible difference in the way that your organization will run. So that's the the first thing that I think is so important to people who are running an organization to get clarity on. So that would be one. The second thing that i think i learned over the last couple of years is to be very consistent with your messaging and that means having very clear meetings and meeting structures that are well run and not a waste of time right and getting good at your at your meetings and your messaging is something that makes a world of difference in pushing forward you know an agenda right So having those, those weekly meetings, having those daily meetings, having those monthly meetings, having those offsite leadership meetings, and you can learn about any of those in any of the meeting books that are out there, right? So there's, there's meeting books from Cameron Herald and there's meetings books, you know, any, any of the groups, like every single person can give you meeting books on the best meetings to have, find the meetings that work for you. We have found that once a week, all staff meetings to push out. Information to keep people apprised of what's going on in the firm is enough for our whole team, right? Some people meet every day. Some people, like, if I, I just heard a, a web uh, podcast from Greg Ward down in Miami, a, a firm that is busting at the seams, you know, they've come out in the last couple of years, they're doing great. And he meets with his team every day, like every single day, they've got 45 minutes of four or five different meetings or three or four different meetings that they do to keep their team on board, right? My team doesn't need that. We need once a week for the whole team. I need one-on-one meetings with my leadership. So me and my leadership one-on-one. So get your meetings down. That would be my second takeaway. I know that we didn't talk much about that, but I think it's really important for people to recognize. And I guess my third takeaway is that no matter what you do, the more you give it away, the more business you'll have. And so to karmically believe in the blue ocean and don't get caught up in red ocean competitiveness. And I think that's really important. It's good for your mental health. It's good for like being able to run a firm. It's good for attitude. It's good for everybody in the firm to feel like there's plenty of business and money out in the world that we're all going to be okay. And so that has been a big lesson for me and has been a a great reliever of stress.
0: you want to get rid of the toxic competition mindset, right? Health. There's There it, there can be competition, but it can be healthy. And it can be one that looks after your neighbors, like a good one, not a bad one, exactly. right? <laughs> That's it. Well, uh, Brian, thank you so much for this really, really insightful conversation. It's been a real pleasure having you in our podcast. And for our listeners, uh, we'll make sure that there is links to your uh, Amazon book page. And I'll, of course, we'll also... I'll plug
2: it here. Just hold it while we end the-
0: <laughs> yeah no it's look a uh, great cover i mean it's it's a really 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 great book and we highly recommend for those who either are on the lawyer side of things or as a consumer give themselves a chance to read it and uh brian again thank you for uh joining us and we hope you we get to have you again for another conversation because there's so much to talk this is about a great with conversation you. thank you guys i really Thanks appreciate
2: you. it peace out
1: Another great conversation in the books, right? That was awesome. Brian's so super cool with all of his stories and information. Yeah. It's sharing. Yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: I mean, Chris, let's be honest. There is no shortages of books from personal injury lawyers that have wrote a book explaining why it's important to have the right lawyer by your side. I at least haven't heard about a book from a personal injury lawyer that says, hey, you're might be better off without hiring me. Right. And so I think that's a very, very fresh approach that actually just associates very organically with his whole mindset. Like that's, you can tell this is the product of someone who thinks like he does. And there's so much to learn here. We've already just got like really rich takeaways here, Grace. So can we make them ours?
1: Yeah. I think so. Uh, it's kind of why you saw me. I kind of wrote them out because I felt like they were really important to re-mention and maybe reformulate, but the same ones, right? Yeah. So, I mean, the first one, as we all know, was his practice organizational health. And in, in the way he explained it was you know, having a clear mission, vision, and values. And that actually came perfectly from the last podcast we just did on you right and
0: exactly Perfect. that the conversation the conversation with George that was exactly that he said like you want to be a successful law firm you want to be an innovating and uh, leader in your field you need to be able to articulate how success looks like and you need to be a leader okay. right that's that's exactly what uh we just heard
1: so exactly. timing couldn't have been right. better, right? <laughs>
0: it, it's just, you know, theory matched to reality, right? Yeah, exactly. And of course, in, in George's case, it's also it's the same case. He is living that same thing in, in, in his own organization. Here was a great example of another organization, different industry, doing the same, getting great results, very remarkable grace.
1: Exactly. And that takes us to the next one, right? And that is consistency, including in your meetings. I can't tell you how important it is to have an agenda, clearly defined points as to what you're going to be talking about at a meeting, because meetings can go off the rails so quickly. And so, So I mean, you know how I'm sure, you know, I mean, anytime in marketing and in all of these worlds, even our own client meetings can go off the rails if there's no agenda.
0: Yeah. And there's nothing more frustrating for people at times to be sitting at a meeting where they have no interest or purpose of being there. And I think that's important to understand, right? Is your team geared up to have meetings every single day? Well, is that going to work towards uh, a better working environment or is it just going to create a more tedious, repetitive, in a bad way uh, environment? But what I do like, Grace, is what you said at the beginning is consistency in your messaging. Don't come up one day with one, with one message, then the next day, change it, adjust it, or with your actions, show a different... Uh, or deliver a different type of message, and I, I think Grace I mean, in in my times working in very 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 big organizations, that's how that's how you achieve success. If top level and the entry level people in the organization know the same message, know what the goals are, know what are they they're doing and what they're after, there's more likely of that actually happening. But when there is a disconnect between what's the goals and the vision that exists at the top and there is not a straight line to uh, the people who are on the base of the organizational structure, there's obviously not going to be great results. So I think consistency of messaging is something that it's essential for everything whether it's the short-term goals and targets to the long-term ones
1: consistency is key right i mean we've talked about that so many times so guys please take note of that <laughs> super important <laughs> Yeah. Um, and that kind of takes me to the last one which it's another recurring theme i feel like in our conversations which is give away the knowledge give away the information why wouldn't you more information you give away, the more you are considered a thought leader, the more you share within your own industry, within other people, the more you give away, the more business you'll have.
0: So Grace, I'll be extremely honest here. That idea as a concept, I heard again, heard it before, right? But what I did notice different in this conversation was the genuine intent here, a lot of us go and do that and we write books and we actually want to give out our knowledge. But knowing that a lot of people are going to be overwhelmed by the idea of having to do that themselves or whatever it is that you're trying to give them resources. So, that they can go and find their own solutions and find their own path. Um, And so, the thought process of that, you know, very well what I'm saying here is that I'm doing this and I'm providing all of the answers and I'm giving all of my content here so that people can then see me and trust me so that that they can hire me to do it uh, for them. Right. And so, and that works. We know that perfectly it works but what i heard in this conversation was real genuine willingness of hey here is everything you need and you know what if you decide to go after it yourself and you kind of like come across some bumps on the road give me a call and i'll actually help you troubleshoot with that i don't seek for anything in return that was the kind of level of interest i felt coming from Brian and really the way that i felt he feels about uh, having created this book. Like genuinely wanting to give a solution for people without necessarily having an agenda for him in relation to that. And then of course, you know, I mean, that's what he says. You just genuinely do not seek for anything immediately in return from having given your content. But on the long term, it just comes back to you. And I, I guess, you know, you can say that this came on on our previous conversation as well, but it's just it's the thread that we see constantly here. Do good things for others and it'll just come back to you.
1: That's the it. golden rule, right? The golden rule.
0: The golden rule, Grace. The other golden rule that we have around this podcast is that every single week we'll be back with another conversation until we decide to take a week off. But it's not next week. So Next week, Grace, another conversation. Is that right? That's All right. right. Take All right. care. Bye. Bye-bye. If you like our show, make sure you subscribe, tell your co-workers, leave us a review, and send us your questions at ask at incamerapodcast.com. We'll see you next week.